0: So why do I believe in this book? Why really do I stake my life on this book? Why have I spent thousands upon thousands of hours studying this book? Why have I really dedicated my life to help coach people through that book? After all, according to a lot of people, it is just a book of, of some historical facts and some fantasies and some mysteries. It is complicated. It's boring. It's, it's outdated. Uh, it's, it's just full of outdated rules. It's, it's just... It, it, You've got to have people who have doctorates try to figure it out for you. I want to propose to you this morning... And as we look at this book in these weeks to come, and perhaps a a way that you've never viewed it before, I want to propose to you this morning that the Bible is this wonderful epic story, an epic story of us. But it's more than just about me, and it's more than just about us few in this room. It's much, much larger than that. I want to ask a question here, in fact, Sarah, I didn't ask you if I could do this, but you're going back to school when? Um, next Monday. Next Monday. Is that your first class? What? When's your first class? Wednesday. Wednesday. And what is that first class? You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> do you know what any of your classes are? Yes. What, which one do you remember? The music introduction. Music introduction class. And so in that class, you'll be introduced to music. That's wonderful. You sound excited about that class. So excited. So you're going to go into this music introductory class, and they're going to introduce you to the basics of music. And I want you to understand that that book right there has a lot to say about what you're going to do there. In fact, the amazing thing about this book is about three millennia ago, there was a guy about your age who took on a giant about double the size of Shaquille O'Neal. And beat him and cut off his head. And what he did there has impacted what happens with you on that Wednesday in that class. About 500 years after that kid did what he did, a girl about your age sacrificed, was willing to sacrifice her life to save about two million people in a nation that were being threatened. And she risked her life to rescue. And what she did then has impact on what happens to you on Wednesday morning in an introductory music class. About 2,000 years ago, there's this, this wonderful event. There's this, there's this, this thing that happens that, that an angel shows up and speaks to this, this old priest and what happens there has an impact on your life. What you do on Wednesday in introductory to music class has an impact on people a week later and two weeks later and three years later because of what happens in that story. This is not some outdated piece. It is a continuation of an amazing story that is more than just us. It's much bigger than just us. I think of the egocentric guy who went to the Super Bowl And as he's seated there in the first quarter, he hears someone yell, Hey, Bobby! So he looks around. He didn't see who yelled it, so he kept watching the game, and then he hears, Hey, Bobby! He turns around again and looks, but still doesn't see anybody. Then again, he hears, Hey, Bobby! He stands up and looks around. He still doesn't see. Now he's getting a little bit irritated. Then he hears a yell again, Hey! Bobby. He stands up and looks and he says, my name's not Bobby. (laughs) This book, this story, this epic story is way beyond us. It is a stadium full of history of people that we have not known but will know one day and people we we will meet in the days to come and people that will go beyond us people and their journeys, and we are in the middle of that. I love the words of N.T. Wright, the bishop in England, who says this book, it's a big book full of big stories with big characters. They have big ideas, not the least about themselves, and make big mistakes. It's about God and greed and grace, about life and lust and laughter and loneliness, It's about birth, beginnings, and betrayal, about siblings and squabbles and sex, about power and prayer and prison and passion, and that's only Genesis. So let's start right there. Let's start in Genesis, the beginning. And the story begins with the beginning, and unfortunately, the beginning gets hijacked because it had such great promise. It starts this way in that first writing, the first chapter of the, that first book. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You don't have to be a Browns fan or a Steelers fan to understand the feeling of great promise when a season begins. And then know the feeling at the end of the season when you're saying, there's always next year. There was such great promise when this thing started. Because this was God's intention. God's intention was that he would build a world subject to his reign by means of human agents. Simply this, that Sarah, when you walk into that introductory to music class on that Wednesday, God's intention always had been that you would be the loving and authoritative rule of God in that place that you, by being there, would be ruling in his stead and that heaven and earth would intersect at that place. It comes from the word obedience, because obedience simply really means in God's kingdom where heaven and earth intersect. When God says, here's what I want, and we say, yeah, we want that too. We'll do that. Heaven and earth intersect at that spot. But the the people who obey him, he said, are my children. And the thing about his authority that God gives to us to rule on this earth comes from this. In God's kingdom, authority is bestowed only by relationship. Only his children rule in his place, in his stead, because they are in his image. The base of that word obey actually means to listen and then to follow through. The question is Who are we listening to and who are we following through with? Because that's the one we're obeying. That's why we just had the announcement about the purity conference. Because unfortunately, so many times, because of the culture around us and, and what we are just inundated with all the time, watching the same stuff and the programs that tell us that impurity is okay now. You can't watch any program without there being a contrary view as to what God said was purity. Just there. And so the question is, who do we listen to and follow because that tells us whom we are obeying and whose children we are. And so Adam and Eve, they, they were listening and they were obeying and everything was just really great until they began to listen to an alternative ending to the, to the whole idea of disobedience. And this voice said to them, hey, if you don't do what God wants, really, you think you'll die? No, 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 you'll be just like him. And they bit into the lie. And as soon as they did, there was this disintegration of relationship. Disintegration. There was this integration that began to fall apart. This integration of of heaven and earth began to dissolve. They began to break apart. And because they're no longer children, the relationship is broken. They no longer have the authority. And so this, this spirit behind the lie also has authority. But up until that point, because of these children following God had a greater authority, now they lose the greater authority. And the one who has a lesser authority, this evil, now begins to rule because there is no one there to fight against them or to fight against him and his forces. There is no integrity, there is no integration, and the structure begins to dissolve. That's the story. And we're part of it because we feel the effects. So the story then continues because God does not give up on us. And it continues with a rescue. But unfortunately, because we are human... The rescue is corrupted. How many people like to dance? Okay, play it. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I I was raised in a Pentecostal movement where dancing was not allowed. So I had to take a note to, it was like fourth grade, fifth grade, to excuse me from square dancing in gym. And everyone knows that square dancing is a gateway drug to disco. <laughs> so I just didn't grow up dancing. So about five years ago, when our daughter Chrissy was getting married, Pam and I said, look, we got we to gotta take lessons, because gonna, you're going to dance with your daughter, and, and we're going to dance together, and we don't want to look like idiots. So we started taking dance lessons. Things were going good. And we're not klutzes. It's just that what we discovered was this, that while we were learning to dance, there was this great battle as to who should lead. (laughs) And I don't blame Pam because she's going backwards with a guy who's never danced before in his life. And she's looking at me like, do you really know what you're doing? Jeff, I've seen you dance. You are graceful, dude. Can you impart some of that on my life? So we're, we're going through this thing, and, and, and we're just, you're not letting me lead. Well, you're not leading very good. So I, so I want to declare that we're not ungraceful, we're not clutch. The reason we have mediocre, mediocre skills in dancing is because of the Garden of Eden. I'm serious. Because here's the deal. Disintegration of relationship happens when love becomes secondary to survival. When I have this desire to to survive greater than I have to trust your leadership, the relationship begins to dissolve. So Pam's saying to me, I'm not sure where you're going, and I'm not trusting you, so I'm fighting because I want to lead. I'm saying to her, no way I'm submitting my authority and let you lead. The guys will laugh at me. It's our story. God said, you couldn't trust me, so you decided to try to survive on your own. Do you think it's not going to affect the relationship between husband and wife, man and woman? And the scripture says that from point on, there'd be enmity between them. There would be this struggle between man and woman. Who was going to take the lead? It's still there today. It's our story. It's that story. God said, I need to create someone who will trust me enough and love me more rather than want to control more. And so he said, I'm going to create some people who will love me with their whole heart, which simply means who will let me lead in every facet of their life through the dance. And so Moses writes these words down in Genesis 12. And the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, Adam and Eve blew it. I'm going to create some new people who are going to do what I wanted in the first place, and they will trust me so that they can rule, they can reign in my stead on this earth, and they will trust me with their lives. And so this nation is to bring the blessing and the presence of God. There is going to be this intersection of heaven and earth. In fact, there is this place called the Tent of Meeting that he creates for this nation so that is where God arrives, and you know that heaven has arrived on earth. And in that tent, we will dance with God. It's a promise of greater things to come, because this book, this book is about promises. In fact, what's it called? The, the, this Bible is split up into two pieces, the old and new what? Testaments, or literally, covenants. The old and new promises. And this old promise is simply this. Abraham, I agree with you that I will send through your family a one who will come to rescue the world. And then that one comes, he will bring heaven and earth so that they intersect together permanently. And in addition to that, humanity will once again rule in my stead on this earth. And overcome the evil that now rules this is the story, this is the story of the dance and how well we've done. So you go, you go to the, the first five books of this, first five selection. it's called the Torah. It is the law. Here's how we dance with God. Then you've got these these prophetic books that really, sometimes they take the historical and the prophetic, they put it together, these prophetic words. This is the the story of the dance. How well we danced with God and how horrible we were in the process. And all the ugly laundry is out there to be seen. Then there's the writings. This is the poetry of the dance. This is the the beauty of the dance. This this is the, the, the description of the songs of the dance. 39 books. In 1946, they discovered in an old Qumran collection of, of scripts that outside of Israel, they, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And to our amazement, these were written around Jesus' day. Once again, validated the accuracy of the manuscripts we use today. That what we're using today to understand what Jesus was using are Accurate as to what Jesus actually had in his hands in those days. These are not some pieces that people made up. These are things that were created so far back, and yet they have this historicity that has been validated by those who have studied it, saying, the story is true, the dance is real. So why should, why should we read that stuff? It's, it's the old stuff. I have people say, it's, just, it's old stuff. It's just it, We have a new culture. This is the, this is the story of our dance. This is our God speaking. This is our God showing mercy. This is our God showing us why and how we should trust him in the dance because disintegration will continue when love becomes secondary to survival. And so, Israel, as you read it in the dance, you'll find out that Israel became the problem that they were trying to solve. And that makes sense. They're human. They're trying to, to try to solve the problem. They are the problem. It, it, it'd be like this, Pastor John, if, if you called me today and you said, hey, after church, we, 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 Celeste and I went to Macy's, and, and I've been out in the car waiting, and I can't get her out. I can't get her out of Macy's. Will you help me? So I show up with Pam and say, Pam, go get Celeste out of there. We have just doubled our losses. (laughs) So God takes humans and say, go fix the human problem. They can't do it. They become part of the problem. And the problem with disobedience, saying we don't trust you, God, we'd rather work our own survival out, is disobedience brings exile. Adam and Eve were exiled. Israel gets exiled. In fact, The first section of this book ends with Israel returning from their exile with an anemic kingdom and a silent God. And they don't talk for 400 years. Mister, you thought you had it bad at home? 400 years. The story continues because God says, I'm not giving up. The story climaxes with our hero but amazingly with our hero sacrificing. So after 400 years, there is suddenly these reports of angelic visitations. And this this prophet I alluded to earlier, this old guy, has a wife who's been barren, and now she's giving birth, and there's this virgin who's also now pregnant, and she's not even been with a guy. There's some weird stuff going on. God's getting ready to talk. Luke wrote it this way, Luke 1, 68, about this promise that we've been waiting for. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. These are the words of Zechariah, the old prophet, when his son is born from his barren wife. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, remember the covenant he made, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The one promised all the way back in this story, that one promised, the one bringing fulfillment of the covenant, the hero in our story, Jesus is acting out the final climactic scene of the ongoing drama of Israel, the nation we will find that we've been grafted into. He's born in a manger. He lives life as a human and Disintegration ceases because survival becomes secondary to love. And God takes the lead. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through him. And so Jesus arrives. It's the story. And this has bearing on Wednesday morning in your class. And the son says, I'm here to do what no other human could do. I'm here to obey. I trust you. What do you want? And the father says, I want to take every single disobedience of every man and woman and child and put them on you. I'll take them. I want to put their exile on you. I want to put their death on you. You take that, and I'm going to give them a second chance. They get to trust me again. So John wrote these words, but to all who received him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or Plan, but a birth that comes from God. We are His children again. Children are able now to carry the authority because the authority is only given through relational connection. So we have once again reestablished relationship because of Jesus and have our authority reissued because of Jesus. And what that is called is the new covenant. So that the four Gospels and the book of Acts and the 13 letters that Paul writes and the words from James and Jude and Peter and John and whoever wrote Hebrews and that wonderful book of Revelation, those are written to show us how we trust him and how we are to use the authority. Folks, this is not, this is not, this is not. There are some people back here who said, Jesus was coming, Jesus came, it's good, I accepted Jesus, everything's cool, I just wait for him. We are in this story that began so many millennia ago that have direct bearing on what Sarah does in her class on Wednesday morning in Introductory to Music and what you do at Lord Corporation. And what you do at Piper Burley when you're teaching. And what you do at 24-Hour Fitness. Or in aisle 13 at Giant Eagle. This has such a direct bearing on how you raise your children. Because now this story accelerates with his children warring. This is not my personal salvation. This is not me buying fire insurance so I don't go to hell. This is not me waiting for the bus to heaven. Jesus said this. Luke recorded it. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, and there is forgiveness for all sins who repent, and you are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send you the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. The story's not done. This story's continuing. You and I are in the story. Paul tells us in his readings, in his writings as you as you read through this you'll find that, that Jesus Christ is now the resurrected human reigning god 's kingdom on this earth, and that he sits at the right hand of his Father the place of authority, and that he has given the Holy Spirit to his church, who are now his image on this earth. You are the image of God on this earth. I, I think of when Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the top of a mountain. And while they're standing there, there is suddenly this illumination of Jesus' face and his clothing, and part of his glory is now being revealed. I mean, he just starts beaming, and they go, Oh, it just freaks them out. And while they're looking, there are two other people standing there Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophet. There is the whole scenario, the whole story standing right in front of them. There's the law. Here's how you dance. Here's the prophet saying, we're trying to learn how to dance. And here is Jesus who said, I'm showing you how to dance. And these disciples going, what dance? Finally, Peter says, hey, this is so great. Let's just stay with you. Totally groovy. Let's just build three places. You guys hang out. And, oh, this is so great. We'll invite John Hamilton and the band in. We'll just have worship. This will be so awesome. And God moves in and interrupts Peter's thought process and says, no, 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 no. This is my son. Listen to him. He's going to show you how to dance. They don't stay on top of that mountain, but they go down where demons kill people and infirmities enslave people. And Jesus said, this is the continuation of the story, and that's why we're here. So, what do we do with this book? If you're from certain backgrounds, you weren't even taught to use this book. You say, "Why well, is so confusing? I don't understand it." That's what I'm trying to tell you about today. This book is so vitally important. Nobody, nobody could get an audience with God and and have an intimacy with God that we all desire like King David did. And yet, listen to his words. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not, what, sin against you. The only way that I'm gonna fight this evil that's trying to destroy all that God's doing that began in the garden is I've got to take the words of this thing and I've got to get them in here. Because this is living. It is the word, the logos, the expression of God. Nobody could run a business like David. Man, what an enterprise! And it just expanded and expanded and expanded. They would come from all over to see his wealth. And he said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I don't know what to do, I go to your word. Just read Psalm 119 sometime and just look at all the words he talks about. All the things that, that, that he understands, the principles of God. He said, that's, that's what I pour into me. I'm going to just tell you point blank. You want to be a good business person, understand what's in that book. Jesus made this statement. Luke recorded as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed actually means the condition of the heart that is at peace with God because heaven and earth are intersecting there and you know your authority and you're exercising it so that you're advancing and not shrinking. Are you there? Because if you're not, he said, you can be if you hear these words and you do them. Paul the Apostle said these words, All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word, work. God breathed. It's not the paper. This book is so old, I can't even find the dates on it, but it's just is amazing. Someone gave it to me and had it bound up. This is older than Pastor Don, I'm telling you. <laughs> God breathed. It simply means this, that when you begin to study these words... And begin to, to meditate on them. David said, I meditate on them day and night, and I'm like this, this tree that's planted by the water, and I give forth fruit in season. When I take this in, when I take time to read it, it gives me divine energy. But I got the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you do. But if you read through, you find out the scripture only has or the Holy Spirit only has one weapon, and it's the word of God. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't have the word of God, well, he wrote it, he knows it. No, no, but you have to have it in you so he can use the weapon. You can't become the person God designed you to be without knowing this and inculcating it into your life, and you can't get that with 30 to 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to find some place where they're studying God's word and not just spoon-feeding you, but making you research some things. Find a place to study. And TBN does not count. Oh, please. That's like you and me going to Burger King after service and me chewing up your food and spitting it in your mouth. Well, people look at you and go, Ooh, aren't they great? Want to try it? When you come here, I'm trying to give you food, but I'm still chewing it up. You need to go someplace where you go, this is how you work. Paul the Apostle said, the person who's mature is a person who has studied it and actually begun to apply it, that's meat. Some of you have been nursing for 55 years. God said, you can't do that. So would you do that? Secondly, every day you need to take some of this. And we call it a devotional time, a time where you study the Scriptures and And I encourage you to journal because God will give you insight. You don't want to forget it. In fact, we've got journals that we'll give you today. If you'll stop by the information desk, they're free. Take one. It'll it'll give you a reading guide, and it'll tell you how to write down certain things, how to study, but take it and use it. And finally, get into a small group because you cannot only just study it, you have to have a place where you apply it, where people go, hey, what are you reading and what are you doing with it? You say, well, I was just coming to church today. What are you messing with me for? And this is not an AA meeting. Where you come and say, uh, hi, hi, I'm Jack. I'm a sinner. And you say, hi, Jack. Not in an airport. I know. You don't do that. Because <laughs> you get with AA, you find out it's a whole lot more than, hi, I'm they, they come after you. We're coming after you. to know this stuff. We take it for granted. So I'm writing this message and I think, I wonder how many Bibles I have in my office. So I said, I just wrote down arbitrarily, I said, I have 24 Bibles in my office and I thought I better count this to make sure it's accurate. 51. 51 Bibles in my office. Like the Holy Spirit said, why don't you just try using one? <laughs> and actually live the thing out. Take it for granted. Can we purpose in our hearts that we're going to study this and let these words study us? And then can we get hungry for it? Because here's the thing about this. As you study this book, you become hungrier. The, the least amount of time you study with it, the least amount of time you want to give to it. You remember what Jesus said? He said, now go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel, but he also said, go into the world and make, make disciples. What does the word disciple come from? What word? Discipline. So I'm asking you to join with me and Pam in a discipline. I'm asking you to become voracious studiers of the word of God. Or we will be anemic. Right here is where heaven and earth meet. And God says, let me infuse that in you. So we have classes. Classes. We'll get you connected to classes. There's a woman's Bible study in a couple of weeks that will walk you through ladies and stuff. you got classes. We've got guys who will mentor you. We've got, we've got the stuff. It's like we have a party ready and no one's showing up. It's time, folks. If you're, if you're going to make it through where this country's headed in the future with faith and an understanding of stability of what is, what is true and what is not, because, because the scripture says that even in the end times, unless you're really prepared, you can be, you're going to be deceived. And we're there. It's, it's not going to be long until Jesus returns. But things are going to get intense. And if you don't know this stuff, if you haven't hammered it down inside of you, it's really risky. So my encouragement to you is this. Hide the word of God in your heart. It will energize you, it will empower you, it will change you. Will you stand? So may you today make the right choice. And as you do, may your hunger for this expression of God, him in flesh and him in writing, will it grab hold of your life? And may you hunger and thirst after him. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you insight. I pray that you will find others with a deep hunger and that you will provoke one another to greater understandings of God and his word. And may you find that you're being transformed as the scripture shapes your mind. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.